From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Grief seems to be getting more attention recently. Prince William is talking candidly about the loss of his mother, Princess Diana, 20 years ago. And Facebook CEO Sheryl Sandberg has written a new book about dealing with grief after the loss of her husband a couple years ago. Here to talk with us about dealing with grief and loss are Jeffrey Schweitzer, a licensed clinical psychologist in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at Upstate and the primary psychologist at the Upstate Cancer Center, and Brian Arismendi, a PhD candidate in clinical psychology at Upstate, who has focused a lot of his work on cancer survivorship, grief, and loss. Welcome, Dr. Schweitzer and Brian. Thanks. Thanks Thank for being for here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So what changes have you seen in bereavement in the past 25 years or so? Sure. Um, so you know, bereavement theory and research has a fairly long and storied history. You know, so we'd like to start by talking about you know, where we've been, where we are, and, and where we're headed. Um, so in terms of where we've been um, in the early and mid 20th century, I'd like to focus on three key intellectual figures who largely define the psychological discourse surrounding bereavement. Um, and you know, the first is Sigmund Freud. So he's an Australian, Austrian, excuse me, neurologist and the founder of psychoanalysis. I'm sure all the listeners are quite familiar with him. And We've heard his, his name. His influence, right, internationally as well with it is within the United States. And he wrote a seminal paper in 1917 called Mourning and Melancholia. And in this paper, he distinguishes between mourning and depression. And in so doing, he depicts grief as a natural and cathartic reaction to loss. Okay. However, one that is also intrapsychic, okay, divesting oneself of the psychic energy associated with the lost love object. And with that, a relinquishment of ties to that lost love object. Okay. So the, the important takeaway from Freud is that grief is intrapsychic. And, and what does intrapsychic mean? Means it, it happens within, within us. Okay. Yes. It happens within us and specifically within our, our psyches or our, our psychologies. Okay. Okay. And that the goal is to, to let go, to relinquish ties, you know, as it exists within our psyche. Is that still believed? Uh, no, we're actually quite far from that, Okay. Um, fortunately, in my view. Um, these days, I, I think we're um, adopting more of a, a relational or intersubjective approach to grief and mourning. Now, what I'll, I'll later talk about is the implication of this view is that uh, bereavement is largely individualistic and private. It's something that happens within us and not between us. Okay. Right. And you know, that's something that can be incredibly isolating and have detrimental effects for the bereaved. Okay. All right. Now, the, the second key figure I want to talk about is someone named Eric Lindemann, who is a, a German-American psychiatrist. And uh, he was the first uh, that presented grief as a syndrome. Okay. And a syndrome essentially is a collection of symptoms. And by labeling it as such, he is uh, starting to present the idea of, of grief as a, a disease or a medical entity, okay? And you know, that is, is quite different from what Freud was saying in that grief is a, a natural, natural, yes. Um, and with that comes the idea of grief as normal versus abnormal, 
And the way he puts that is that there's such a thing as a, a morbid reaction. So is Lindemann, when he talks about grief, is it just grief from loss or grief from other things? Yes. Uh, he, he talks about grief in terms of uh, literal Of a loss. death of someone. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. Right. Yes. Um, although you are alluding to a, another change that we're starting to see in the, the field, and that's a, a distinction between primary loss, you know, so the, the loss that Lindemann and, and Freud and others talked about in these early theories, and something called secondary loss. So these are more intangible losses. These are, are psychosocial consequences of the, the death of a loved one, you know, the loss of identity, the loss of roles and values, et cetera. Okay. Yeah. Well, the thing I remember hearing about is the stages of grief. Ah. Do we still follow that? Do we believe that there are stages of grief? Uh, we do. We, we do follow that still. And um, I will say, unfortunately, again, because, you know, sometimes we can follow these stages too literally. Um, this is an idea that was put forward by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, um, who, along with Freud, probably most well-known in, in our culture and internationally. <clears throat> she wrote a book called On Death and Dying in 1969. And in, in that book, uh, proposed the idea that uh, grief is experienced in stages. But what most people may not know is that um, she developed this theory from speaking with terminally ill patients, not bereaved persons. And out of those conversations, you know, develop these different stages, uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And I won't go into those in too, too much detail. I think they're fairly self-explanatory. But that really relates more to a, someone who's terminally ill as opposed to someone who's grieving the loss of someone? Um, I think that these, these experiences can apply to bereaved persons mm -hmm. as well, but important to note that the, the theory primarily did come out of those conversations. Okay. And also, I think that she was somewhat tentative in the way that she presented that. You know, these are, these are common experiences um, that you may have, but the, the way that culture received it, it was kind of turned into this linear process. So grief uh, progresses in these orderly stages. And when I say that that's an unfortunate um, interpretation of it, it's because uh, when I work with patients, I notice there can be a lot of self-judgment and unnecessary suffering that comes out of that. Um, right now, you know, I'm in the depression stage, and I should be in the acceptance oh. stage. Or I was in depression, and now I've backtracked, and I'm angry again. Is there something wrong with me? And then there's that pathologizing of, of one's experience based on this, this model, which was intended to be helpful, and it is in some ways, but in other ways can be detrimental too. Okay. Well, let me, uh, let me switch a little bit to Brian, um, sure. because you've done research in this as well. Mm -hmm. um, what has been your experience with um, how people are dealing with grief these days? Um, yeah, so uh, based on the research and the um, literature searching that um, I've done to carry out this research, um, we've uh, distilled three more um, contemporary, um, <clears throat> uh, I would say, uh, theories of 
uh, grief and bereavement. And the one that I've focused on the most um, is known as the dual process theory. So it moves away from um, this linear model of grief, um, as Dr. Schweitzer was just talking about, um, and describes bereavement um, as um, oscillating between what we would call loss and restoration-oriented coping. Um, so bereavement then is a dynamic process of both confronting um, or in, in more behavioral terms, approaching and avoiding or moving away from the experience of the loss and the person that has been lost. Um, so um, this theory kind of naturally contests the assumption that grief must be um, just confronted until it is overcome and um, and gotten over. Um, that's kind of a misnomer. I, I kind of conceptualize it as uh, grief, not, you don't get over grief, you integrate the loss as part of your personal story, your narrative, how that person and their um, relationship to you has influenced <clears throat> you um, as you look to the future. So again, loss and restoration. Sometimes you hear people talking <clears throat> about, you know, they need closure. Mm -hmm. Does mm -hmm. that fit into the dual theory or? Uh, again, I would say, um, I would prefer the word integration to closure. Closure for me connotes um, uh, turning a page on something mm, or, or closing okay. a chapter of that book, if you will, whereas I think it's more accurate to say it is, it is an integration, it is a synthesis of the relationship and of the loss uh, event um, into uh, the surviving, say, spouse's life now as they look to the future. And in my research, I looked at this um, uh, approach and avoidance tendencies in spousally bereaved older adults, so older adults that had lost their spouse. Um, <clears throat> men and, and I, women who've lost a spouse. Men and okay. women, yeah. Uh -huh. And um, as they, or, or rather doing so from a, both a behavioral and a neuroscientific uh, approach. So um, seeing how they might respond to images of their spouse versus images of other loved ones versus generic images of grief, say like a casket, um, different vari varying reminders of their loss uh, experience while they were in what's called a functional MRI machine that mm. can measure brain activity. Okay. Um, and what did you find? Right. So, so in terms of the behavioral um, findings, um, we did show... Um, we did find that individuals that have lost their spouse do show this automatic um, or implicit tendency to approach um, pictures of their of their lost spouse specifically, but not necessarily the more generic reminders such as a casket. So they were um, more drawn to um, images of their spouse and less so drawn to images of um, a generic reminder such as a casket or a headstone and and. Um, I guess by extension, uh, the neuroscience results, uh, the neurobiological results indicated um, that the um, individuals doing so were using a lot more of uh, cognitive resources in determining the um, processing and what we call the emotional salience or the emotional relevance of these different stimuli um, during this task. Interesting. Mm -hmm. um, this is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with psychologist Jeffrey Schweitzer and PhD candidate Brian Arismendi about grief and loss. Mm -hmm. um, and Dr. Schweitzer, mm -hmm. um, tell me about the research you've done. Before I get into my research, I'd like to share with the audience uh, a couple of other theories that um, 
have emerged more recently. Sure. And these are the, the true theoretical roots to my research. Uh, the first is something called Continuing Bonds, which came out in the mid-90s. Uh, and this particular theory represents a shift from the goal of relinquishing ties uh, with the dead, which started with Freud. Okay. And uh, the theory posits that the bereaved often experience continuing relationships with the deceased and that attending to this relationship can facilitate rather than hinder the bereavement process. So how, what are some examples of how they would continue a relationship with someone who's died? Would they be wearing their clothing? Yes. Or uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, that, I think that's a great example. So uh, it may be uh, personal objects of, of the deceased with which the bereaved uh, associate um, that have a strong... Uh, effective and, and psychological significance for them. Um, okay. So it may be uh, a matter of, you know, holding on to a, a piece of clothing, um, you know, smelling a, a piece of clothing. Um, also, it can take an intangible form, such as through stories. Um, there are some clinicians and, and researchers out there uh, who've coined this practice called remembering, okay, R-E hyphen remembering. Okay, huh. uh, and that's uh, what that means is kind of reconstituting, putting putting the uh, putting the relationship back together, if you will, uh, summoning the relationship through storytelling. Um, so that's something that can be done individually. Uh, that that can be done with friends and family members. You know, remember the time that we did. Like so looking so. through a scrapbook yes. or photos mm-hmm. uh, just to, okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was one of the theories. Um, yes. Is there another? Another is uh, something called meaning reconstruction theory. And, um, you know, earlier you'd questioned this idea about the bereavement processes is happening within us. You know, is that something that's changing? So that's a, a major aspect of this particular theory, which proposes that life meaning is co-created and elaborated in and through relationships. And the loss of significant persons can therefore create a rift in our core meaning structures. Mm-hmm. Examples of core meaning structures are you know, how we understand self-identity. You know, who are we? How do we define ourselves? How do we understand interpersonal relationships? What do those mean to us? What are our values? For example, belief in a just world. You know, that, that's one value that can often be thwarted by the loss of a significant person, particularly when it's sudden and, and tragic. Well, um, and if it's, a, if it's someone in your life who has been very meaningful to you, who's been your support, has been there for, through everything, it would rock you to your core to lose them. Right, yes. You know, thinking about the, the, the death of a spouse, uh, to whom you've been married for 30, 40 years. Um, you know, not only does that unground you from the past and, and the present, but also your anticipations of the future. You know, if that were to happen, for instance, near retirement age, you know, you have all these hopes and dreams, you know, set up about what you're going to do together, and suddenly that's, that's taken away. Um, it creates a, a massive upheaval that can be deeply painful. Uh, Well, this is uh, very interesting information, but mm -hmm. we're running out of time, so I Uh, need to um, let. What are the takeaways from this? What what um, what is this? What have we said about bereavement in general here? So, one important takeaway 
is um, distinguishing between primary and secondary loss. You know, we, we talked about that a, a little bit earlier. So primary loss being that the literal loss of the, the person and secondary loss being, you know, what are the intangible consequences of that for the you? The loss of the relationship or the um, lifestyle or the activities that, right? Exactly. That, okay. Yes. Um, hopes and dreams for the future, um, okay. roles, uh, loss of control, faith, safety and security. Important to take inventory of these secondary losses because they can be just as affecting. And then we talked a lot about um, bereavement not being like this linear stages that you go through and, and such, but it, that it's more complex. And, right. um, yeah, right. absolutely. Um, I think that's where we've arrived now with the, the empirical and qualitative research that we have is that um, it is, it is nonlinear, um, it is time varying, and, and really bottom line is it, it is unique for each individual. It's heterogeneous. Um, we have some common themes that we can pull across people's experiences um, that uh, have led to these um, contemporary theories. Um, but that it is a complex and, and uh, nonlinear process. Um, and with that um, comes the idea, and I think to circle back around to um, some of the uh, media you discussed in the beginning is that um, you know, what you can do um, when someone you know is um, experiencing grief or bereavement. And, and really, because it is unique to each individual, it's important to just allow them to express themselves, uh, allow them to tell their stories of their loved one, um, listen, uh, be present with them, not try to fix it. Um, I believe um, Cheryl Sandberg uh, said, what's most helpful is what uh, asking what, how are you today um, versus how are you doing? Because it's day to day, it's different. Well, good point. Um, so, good point. Well, my guests have been Dr. Jeffrey Schweitzer, the primary psychologist at the Upstate Cancer Center and PhD candidate Brian Arismendi. Thank you both. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.